Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. We are living in a very complicated and dangerous time for freedom in America. National security is no longer just about threats to our freedom from external enemies. For conservatives, we also need to be concerned about threats from our own government and being tarred with the label white supremacist. Here's what Joe Biden said recently. According to the intelligence community, terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Not ISIS, not Al-Qaeda, it is white supremacy. Uh, and as president, he's moved rapidly to weaponize every federal agency, including our military, against this supposed threat. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin tells us, I will fight hard to rid our ranks of racists and supremacists, extremists. We can keep America safe from our enemies if some of those enemies lie within our own ranks. Well, when you label your enemies racist and extremist, anything goes. Meanwhile, clown congressman and member of the House Intelligence Committee, Eric Swalwell, sleeps with Chinese spies, meets with Hamas and Hamas-linked charity, and cavorts shirtless, Vladimir Putin-like, uh, on a camel. And he goes untouched. Well, where does this go from here? What next? And joining me today are two men who understand these issues as well as anyone on the planet, and we're going to talk them through, some of them, maybe not all of them. Uh, Ambassador Pete Hostra, former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, U.S. Ambassador to the Netherlands, and chairman of the Center for Security Policy Board of Advisors. Pete was awarded the CIA's uh, Agency SEAL Medal and the National Intelligence Distinguished Public Service Medal. Also joining again is my friend Fred Flights, who's the president of the Center for Security Policy, who served in 2018 as deputy assistant to the president and as chief of staff of the National Security Council. He previously held national security jobs with the CIA, the DIA, the Department of State, and uh, House, House Intelligence Committee staff. Pete, Fred, welcome. Great to be here. Good Thank to be you. here. Well, I'm really honored. We have. We have a former chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Finally, we can find out what's really going on. <laughs> Pete, can you frame this for us? We're, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but just would you get us kicked off with how you see uh, see the world? Yeah, I think the uh, well, number one, it's it's great to be here with you today. Uh, great to talk about these topics and, and educate your audience on, you know, the issues and the challenges that uh, that we face not only as conservatives, uh, but that we also face as Americans. I mean, the, the, you know, intelligence, national security, uh, you know, these shouldn't be partisan issues. As a matter of fact, when I served as the chairman and Fred, Fred and I worked together on the Intelligence Committee, we were rather proud that uh, these were not partisan issues. Uh, we were focused on the content uh, and the quality of the work that the intelligence community does. And what we've seen over the last five years is, you know, so what, what did we focus on now or where, where has it fallen apart? Uh, we saw it towards the end of the Biden administration, uh, you know, in the transition into the Trump administration, uh, the weaponization uh, of intelligence. 
the a weaponization of the intelligence community against an incoming president of the United States. Uh, you have the Steele dossier, and uh, you had what was going on. Remember, the FBI is part of the intelligence community. You know, they were doing the subpoenas against, uh, you know, against Mike Flynn and all of these things. And what we found is that it was done on the flimsiest of, of evidence. Matter of fact, no evidence at all uh, that there was collusion with the Russians and these types of things. But what they did is they, they used the intelligence community to basically hamstring and divert the energies of an incoming president away from implementing his agenda by distracting the American people in Congress by bringing up all these false accusations. So they, uh, you know, they weaponized the intelligence community and it's continuing today with, you know, in the last couple of weeks where you hear about the NSA listening to Tucker Carlson or screening his emails, outrageous. How widespread was that? I mean, we've heard about the FBI, but were the other agencies also uh, involved in the, uh, in, the, in the campaign against Trump? Absolutely. It went all the way to the top. Remember, the, uh, the two big uh, proponents of the Russian collusion were the, the leadership of the intelligence community, you know, Jim Clapper, uh, John Brennan. Uh, so, you know, what they were doing is they were setting a tone for the entire intelligence community saying politicization is all right. And, you know, you know, you have you have a intelligence community station. So when I was in the Netherlands, OK, we had an intelligence community uh, station there. Great professional people. And these are the people that are being undercut by the steps that are being taken at the highest level in the agency. All right. And, you know, they don't, the ones that I worked with in The Hague, they don't want to be partisan. You know, they've got a job to do and they're focused on doing everything they can to get the information, the intelligence, to keep America safe and make sure that our policy leaders have the best information to make the best decisions. So, that, you know, that you have one thing that's happening at the intelligence community. The second thing that I'm very worried about is in 2004, uh, as a result of the 9-11 Commission, you know, we had a liberal Democrat in the House, Jane Harmon. You had a conservative Republican in, who was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Uh, that was myself from Michigan. You had Joe Lieberman, uh, an independent from Connecticut. And you had Susan Collins, uh, you know, a moderate Republican from uh, Maine, right? Maine. Yes. And the four of us worked together. We were all competent, we liked each other, and we through the leadership of the four of us, we passed the Intelligence Reform Bill, uh, the first major reorganization of the intelligence community in 50 years as a response to what happened on 9-11. Now, there's disagreements about how good it was and what the problems and issues were, but it was the four of us shepherding us through. And today I think about, let's see, a liberal from California, a conservative from Michigan, uh, an independent from Connecticut, and a moderate from, from Maine. What would happen if you put the four of them into, the room, and, into a room and said, hey, work this out? It wouldn't happen. Think about it. Adam Schiff, the chairman of the Intelligence uh, Committee today, this is a guy that Nancy Pelosi, he's a lieutenant of Nancy Pelosi, he spearheaded the most partisan process that you can have on Capitol Hill, the impeachment process. So you have a totally dysfunctional House Intelligence Committee 
that is supposed to be, you know, setting the priorities and the framework for where the intelligence community is going to be in five years and 10 years. You know, you do a new satellite program, you don't do that in a year. It's a 10, 15 year program uh, from concept to actually launching a satellite. They're not doing the oversight. They're not going in. They're not holding the NSA accountable for reading perhaps your emails or my emails or Fred's emails. They're not doing this oversight to keep these agency agencies within their lanes. They're not doing the work to see if they're, you know, they're competent and qualified. Uh, the, the, the system is breaking down. We've got to get politics back out of the intelligence community and get these professionals and what the 80, 90 billion dollars that they spend every year focused on exactly what they're supposed to be doing, keeping America safe. Fred? I, I was so honored to work with Pete Hoekstra when he was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Were you on his staff? I was on his staff for five years. I, I worked was for he, these was, guys was, for, for was five he, was, years. Was he a good boss? He was, he was one of the best bosses <laughs> I've ever had. And, and, I uh, guess he must be. You brought him in. And, to, yeah, uh, and, we've, been, and we've, we've become good friends. We were through some good times and yeah. bad times. But, you know, it was clear when he was on the committee that Democrats and Republicans were working together in a nonpartisan fashion most of the time. What years was this? this I just two, want to. I was on from 2006 to 2011, and I was on the committee from uh, 2000, uh, 2001 to 2011. So two, roughly 10 years ago. I was on. We're, yeah. we're, I just yeah. trying to set, I'm trying to set the context for where we were then and where we are yeah, now. Yeah, we've we've gone totally off the rails, uh, really beginning in about. Uh, 2007, 2008, when the Democrats came back and took over the House. And that's when Schiff took over? Now, Schiff, it was, uh, it was first Sylvester Reyes. Um, yeah. But uh, Schiff took over in what, 13, 14? Something like that. Yeah. But, you know, Pete and Jane Harmon were friends. They're still friends. And they didn't agree all the time. They went on TV together. They cooperated most of the time. That is gone. Boy, I wish we had Jane Harmon back and, and, you know, I often, we have now. I yeah. often promote Jane Harmon as a Democrat who Obama, uh, Biden should give <laughs> jobs to because the Cassie has it so awful. But also, these are select committees, and that means the members don't get on by seniority. They're handpicked by congressional leaders, the Senate Intelligence and the House Intelligence Committee, to keep people who are, who are not qualified or, or not appropriate off, people who won't keep secrets, people who will politicize the committee. Pelosi has used the uh, select process to fill the committee with political lieutenants to do her bidding. And that's why Swalwell, who has no business being on this committee, you know, the Swalwell story is so scandalous. There's a woman named Fang Fang who... who do they make these things up? No, I feel like, her name, she I feel like by, I'm in a bond She movie. goes by Christine yeah. Fang and Fang Fang. Okay. Swalwell was elected in 2013. Fang Fang helped him get elected. He worked, she worked on his campaign. Once he was elected, she put somebody in his personal office. In 2015, after he was on the Intelligence Committee, the FBI gave him a defensive briefing about her, and she disappeared. Now, this, this came out late last year that this happened, and the Republicans saying, why did no one tell us about this, and how could he remain on the committee? So the D's knew about it, and they didn't tell the R's? That, there, there's a claim that, that the Republicans were briefed but Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans said, we did not know about this, and if we did, we would have objected. And look, I'm not saying that he was handing intelligence to this woman, but look, if you're close to a member of the House Intelligence Committee, you learn a lot. You learn the schedules, you learn the travel, you learn the names of people come into his office. Some of them could have been defectors. This should have been declared 
to the FBI or to the committee leadership, the fact that he had this affiliation, and, 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 and the fact that this stopped after the FBI briefed him, that you were, you were basically very close friends with a Chinese spy. I mean, I just wonder how many more Chinese spies are doing this in Congress. You're watching the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Ambassador Pete Hoekstra and Fred Flights, and we're talking about the politicization of the uh, intelligence committees and where it's gone in the last 10 years. One of the things I was surprised when I was preparing for this is that congressmen don't are not required to get background checks. Is that true? That is true. We so are, everybody else in the building's got to go through a rigorous background check. But if you get elected to Congress, nothing. That is correct. Now I don't. You know, I still remember Denny, uh, you know, Speaker Hastert, uh, telling me, Pete, you're going to be the next chairman of the Intel Committee. I don't know whether at that point in time he had asked uh, the FBI or someone to conduct a background check on me, but by virtue of being a member of Congress, you get uh, security clearances. Now, I, I would have been fine if Denny had, you know, asked for uh, a private, you know, a personal background check uh, to the FBI about someone that he nominated or that he had selected to become chairman of the committee, but it is not uh, essential. It's not a requirement. No. I, I think it should be. And many members, I understand they don't want the executive branch investigating members of Congress. I get that. But if Swallow had... So is that, that's, the, that's, that's the proximate that's reason why it doesn't happen and you're not supposed to I be... I think these investigations could be conducted by the Capitol Hill police. If Swallow had declared Fang Fang, it would have been a red flag. She was so obviously a Chinese agent. And, and I have to assume, in this instance, the Chinese government was developing a relationship with him before he was even elected. And she continued this relationship. And I think if you're going to have access to our most sensitive secrets, members of Congress should have some type of background investigation or at least declare foreigners who they have affiliations with. And that doesn't happen right now. Well, you know, when I was hearing that, I was trying to think, well, in the good old days, you'd say the FBI is going to do a really thorough background check, and that would be the gold seal of approval. But now we're also hearing the FBI has been politicized. And can you trust the FBI to do, a, to do an honest uh, background check? And I hate saying that because it, it, it's, uh, you know, because I'm with you, Pete. I, I don't really, I say it's about conservatives. It's really about all Americans that we ought to be worried about. But the proximate people they're going after are conservatives. So is, is this, could this be a partisan uh, uh, thing as well, background checks? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I hate to think of what would have happened with uh, John Brennan. Uh, who was at the White House for a while, then at the CIA. But if he would have been part of the process that would have approved who got a background or who got a clearance and who did not get a clearance in Congress, it would be a powerful weapon. And I think that's, you know, Fred's suggestion is, is very, you know, it's a very workable one. Well, we have the capabilities in the legislative branch to do background checks for 435 members uh, in the House and 100 members in the Senate uh, to get that done. And maybe it's not going to go into the same depth and all of that that you'll see, uh, you know, others going through. But at least you would have some investigation so that, you know, as the speaker or the minority leader, we're making key assignments to the intelligence committees, the defense committees, ethics committees, and those types of things. You know, they would have the, this information available. But... Perhaps more importantly, 
members of Congress might want to have this done so that they will be aware of relationships that they have that might be questionable. So, you know, I, well, I, I would have not had a problem with someone saying, hey, people are going to do a background check. I say, thank you. Pe people have gone through this and have read their own background check are astonished at how much people, how much they find out about people they thought they knew and didn't really know. Right. And so that's the kind of thing that would come up. I mean, here's this person you're associating with, and did you know that right. they were really doing this? And once you're in the job, you know, the number of people that you meet, uh, you know, grows exponentially. Uh, you're traveling overseas. I mean, when I, was in, uh, when I was on the committee, I would probably travel 15, 20 times a year overseas. Uh, you know, so you'd go to some friendly countries, uh, but you know, you'd be spending time in, in other places. You know, you'd be in Afghanistan, you'd be in Iraq, uh, Uzbekistan, and all of these uh, countries. And you know, you're always making new acquaintances, uh, and you would get briefed by your staff on who these folks were. I bet you never thought it was an opportunity to go shirtless on a camel. <laughs> that would not have been a pretty sight. I was, I was, uh, I was in better shape then than I am now, but it's, I'm still not sure I'd be ready to but get I mean, on a just, camel. Just and, the level of maturity that you're out there representing the United States and uh, as a as a congressman, and that's the thing you choose to do. Yeah. And this, this 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 man is a clown. But you know, that's not the worst of it. He was there to associate with with, with meetings with the Qatar Foundation, which has ties to Hamas, a terrorist organization. That's been making the news right now. He wasn't just going around shirtless on a camel. He was meeting with people he shouldn't have been meeting with. Hamas, tell us, how, tell us about Hamas. Hamas is the terrorist organization that fired thousands of missiles into Israel just a couple of months ago. It's funded by Iran. It is a radical Islamist organization that, that, that runs, uh, runs, runs Gaza. It's a bad group, and they're trying to push their influence in the United States through universities. This is an organization that a member of Congress should not have met with. And it's been making the rounds right now that this was part of Swalwell's trip to Qatar. They're doing something similar to what the Chinese are doing with the Confucius Institutes. Where they're I, trying to be on campus. They want to be on campus. I, to, I to, believe so, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got you know multiple organizations in the United States that have ties into Hamas, Hezbollah, and other you know Muslim extremist groups. Uh, throughout the Middle East, but they've got ties in the United States. They've been, you know, they've been trying to influence our positions, uh, you know, labeling organizations as, you know, anti-Muslim or whatever. And it's kind of like, no, uh, we're looking at groups that are here to undermine the United States and our values and those types of things. But you get the, and you're right. It's the same thing that uh, the Chinese do. If you are an open society like we are, these groups. Uh, yeah. can have access, we need, need to do a much better job of monitoring them uh, and exposing them for who they are. You know, I, I want to get back to something I think you'll find interesting. Pete, when you were on the committee, there was a process when there, was a, when there were ethics questions or compromise questions for members of Congress. You and the ranking member would get together to look over that. Right. So there should have been a process that would have been used for Swalwell. And I'm wondering, what, what were your experiences when a member of Congress was accused of some type of inappropriate contacts with the Foreign Intelligence Service, et cetera, like that? Well, the first thing that would happen is, you know, we would get that information. Uh, most likely, we'd get it from the, uh, from the FBI. Mm -hmm. uh, they would report that, hey, you know, unbeknownst perhaps to the member, 
uh, you know, these are the people that they were meeting with. Uh, it would that information would be shared with me and the the ranking member, and in my case, Jane Harmon. Uh, we would review it. Uh, we might bring it to the speaker. We might bring it to the minority leader. Uh, but we would then uh, authorize that member to be uh, approached by the FBI so that they could explain it to them, and then they would, um, you know then they could explain or say, well, thank you. You know, I didn't know that. Thank you for uh, bringing this to my attention. Uh, or they could say, yeah, I knew that and give an explanation. Uh, but the ranking member and myself, as well as the speaker and the minority leader, you know, we would monitor, not, you know, not every day, but you know, when these things come, came up, we would take it very, very seriously because of the information that we have coming into the committee. Uh, and we would confront members. The same thing would happen uh, you know, every two years when we would add new committee members, uh, we would have a, a, a serious discussion. Uh, I would, in, in my case, with the speaker uh, saying, hey, here are, the mem you know, here are the 30 members that have asked to get on the committee because it was a, uh, a committee that a lot of people wanted to get on. And here we have three openings. And we would go through and say, okay, hey, this person is really, really great. Uh, we know their background and all of this, but they also come from a military background or an intelligence background. Uh, and then Fred and I were talking about, and sometimes, you know, because I don't have that. Uh, and it's kind of like, we also work to get a balance on the committee. We also like to bring in people who had no background uh, in intelligence uh, because they sometimes ask the best questions. Yeah. It's kind of like, I don't know, you know, they- Well, is that process still happening? I mean, is it is it broken down along with a lot of other checks and I don't, this may be yeah. a terrible analogy, but I think what's happening to border security and basically all the agents that were protecting our border are now asking as acting as escorts, bringing people into the country. Yeah. Have we, no, the, as, as I, in I the last six months, has this also been the sort of thing that's been shut down to, no, to, but to I protect think, us? No, what, what, you'll, what you're saying is there's still a criteria yeah. Okay. Nancy Pelosi is still very interested in who's put on that committee. Yeah. But the criteria have changed. Mm -hmm. it's, it's now, you know, her partisan hacks who carry her agenda uh, forward rather than those who have a passion uh, for making sure that the intelligence community is working the way that it is supposed to and that it's nonpartisan. And, you know, Speaker Pelosi has now put on the committee people who are clearly focused on partisanship and how they can move, and how they can use the Intelligence Committee to move their political agenda forward, mm -hmm. rather than focusing on what the who, real mission who, of the who, committee who's, is. Who's the ranking member uh, right now? Uh, uh, Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes. Yeah. So he's been outspoken on a lot of these issues. Oh, he's, he, yeah. He's been very, very good. Yeah, he's been he's been awesome, and he he's got a passion for the community, uh, and he's defending the community uh, against the partisan activities, and he's done a great job in terms of exposing the partisanship uh, that Adam Schiff has put in. There was a serious bipartisan process when there were security concerns about members when Pete was there. That's what he's talking about. This is how bad it is now. They're trying to build a wall in the Intelligence Committee offices. And what I mean is the staff sits physically. in this, uh, physically, the staff sits in this large room, Republican on one side, Democrats on another. The staffs get along so badly that, that Nunes is trying to build a wall to stop the Democrats from spying on the Republican staff. And he almost got it. It was so bad, they'd hang out to listen into phone calls. Basically, they were out for politics. They were not out for cooperation. I left the, com the committee in 2011 with 
good friends on both sides. In fact, no one didn't like me on the Democratic side because we worked together in a bipartisan fashion. Right now, the atmosphere is so poisonous. It, it, it's just bad for our, for, for our country. And I don't see how this committee can do any serious oversight given how political it has, it has become. And it's become, you know, Nancy Pelosi the other day, you know, vetoed a couple of Kevin McCarthy's picks for the 1-6 commission. Right. Which is unprecedented. You know, it's the minority leader has the right to pick minority members for these commissions. And, you know, it, it, I don't think it's ever happened in the history of Congress where the speaker has come and said, you're not going to get who you want. I, I was talking with someone on, on HIPSI, uh, the House Intelligence Committee, the other, the other day, and, you know, I didn't get along great with the ranking member uh, from 2000, or the, the chairman from 2007 to 2011, but he gave me total free reign in terms of what I wanted to do. If I wanted to, on Thursday night when Congress got done, if I wanted to go to Iraq, it's kind of like, hey, Pete, go. Um, you know, and I, I would go, and I'd take a couple of my staff people with me, and, and we would go. Uh, today, uh, if Nunes or one of his staff people want to go somewhere and do oversight, they have to take a Democratic staffer with them who has to sit in on every meeting to know exactly what Devin Nunes is hearing. Uh, or they may not leave the country. That's like, wow. wow. It, uh, the political environment uh, has really gotten ugly in, you know, in all of Congress, but it may be the worst. Uh, on the Intel Committee, which is unprecedented. You, you, you're watching the Bill Walton show, and we're, we're having a very alarming conversation with that <laughs> Ambassador Pete Hosker and Fred Flights about the, about the really toxic and poisonous politicization of the House Intelligence Committee. Well, and, and let's talk about who is on the 1-6 Committee. Yeah, one six, is yeah. One, 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 yeah. one six is January, January sixth. Yeah. The, the so-called insurrection. I, I thought I'd toss that to you because I know you want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean but the uh, yeah. So Nancy puts on the speaker puts on some of her most partisan, you know, people on the one six commission, uh, and McCarthy nominates his, and he can't get his people on, and so. You know, I applaud him. Uh, he reached a point where he just said, fine, forget it. I can't work with the speaker on this issue. And let me, we're just let me ask you a political question. It seems to me that in the last six months, and this is not my world, the D's led by Biden and Pelosi and Schumer, particularly the first two, I don't know where Schumer is on all these, but they've been pushing the most radical possible agenda that's unpopular, I think, with probably 70, 75, 80% of Americans. They're, they're going after the radical left to do all these things. Aren't they worried about a bloodbath in uh, 2022? I mean, we've got another election coming up in a fairly short time. Don't they care about their political well, let future? Let me first correct one thing. You've, you've mentioned a couple of times the last six months. It's not on the Intel Committee, it's not the last six months. It's the last you know, at least the last four years. Okay, well, yeah, I, I... Right, no, yeah. But, I'm, but, I, but, but we do have this new president, but this was happening even under Trump. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nancy, remember, like I said, Adam Schiff was chairman of the committee and led the impeachment. Yeah. Uh, under, you know, while uh, President Did Trump was Did he do was that as chairman of the Intelligence chairman Committee? Chairman of the Intelligence so Committee. So he was using the powers of that committee to run the impeachment. Yes. With, with secret hearings, and people couldn't bring in attorneys. It was an un unbelievably rigged process against the president. And, you know, you talk about, will there be a bloodbath? 
I think there's a good possibility. You know, typically two years into a president's first term, there is a significant realignment. Uh, and with the House as close as it is today, Republicans need to pick up seven, eight seats or something like that, and they will be the majority party. I think uh, there's a pretty good chance that that's going to happen. Uh, and it will be because of the policy. Because when you, you know, you know <clears throat> China, they were just accused of doing this, uh, this major hack. No consequences. No consequences. You know, they continue the... the uh, the Uyghurs, you know, and the, you go right down the list on, on the issues that, uh, you know, when, when I was in the Netherlands promoting the policies of Donald Trump, these were not Donald Trump policies alone. Uh, you would go home and, you know, I come from the state of Michigan, holding, you know, holding NATO accountable and our allies accountable for paying their fair share of NATO. That's not a Republican or a Democrat issue. That's just a common sense issue. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you go to the people in Michigan and say, yeah, why are we paying the Dutch share for NATO? Right. right? Detroit auto workers, West Michigan auto workers saying, we want to have the same access to the German market to sell our cars as what BMW and Mercedes have. That's not a Republican or a Democrat issue. Uh, holding China accountable for intellectual property theft. Uh, and these types of things. That's not a Republican. And these, are, these were all common sense issues that, that, that strike a real chord with the heartland in America. And well, so this is why I think the Democrats will have a hard time. But why do I feel like the Chinese or the left in America is making common cause with the Chinese? Because yeah. they are. And, but it's, it's grown worse than that. Our, our corporations and Wall Street, which is my old stomping ground, also seems to be making common cause with the Chinese. The, um, you know, we will win, ultimately win the struggle with China just because of, of who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, but Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood are making it much more difficult. They're not standing in alignment, you know, with folks who want to hold China accountable, they're on, in, in some ways they're they're working on the other side. Okay, I mean China's a huge market for the companies on Wall Street. Now, when you're on the House Intelligence Committee, I, I guess ten years ago maybe it hadn't become as apparent. But how how long have you watched this stuff happening? I mean, I voted no in 2000, 2001 on permanent normal trade relations, uh, which is with China. Okay, I, I salute you for that. Yeah, <laughs> that was you know that was that was. That I, I probably cast lots of bad votes, but I go back on that one and say <laughs> I got that one right. How I got to the right answer, I have absolutely Boy, that was, that no was, idea. That was not consensus, though. I mean, no. the consensus among everyone is we're going to make them, we're going to bring them in. They'll be liberal. They'll be just like us. Yeah, and but you know, and when you when I got on the committee in two thousand, you know. All of a sudden, you start hearing about what the Chinese are doing on our universities, not in terms of trying to educate uh, students in uh, a propaganda campaign, but you, when you hear that they're trying to steal our intellectual property and research, uh, when you hear what they're doing with the business community and those types of things, uh, it became very obvious you know, immediately that uh, you know, China was a huge concern. But American people don't know how big of a concern we should be. Well, let's talk about that because we've got this 
this, I love the name, Fang Fang, <laughs> who was a student. And, you know, we've got hundreds of thousands of Chinese students studying in America. And many of them are not students. And as I understand it, the Chinese Communist Party has a edict that if you're a Chinese citizen and you're working or, or living abroad, you really report to the Chinese Communist Party. So in effect, they've deputized everybody not living in China to be an agent of the state. And some of those people really are, and they have, I'm sure, handlers and things like that, and others are just informal. Is that is that just a fear, or is that pervasive, or how do, how do we think about that? Because, you know, many of us say, well, gee, we've got a Chinese friend, we like them, and how should, you know, is it... Uh, I think yours is an accurate description. Okay. Yeah. It's not, it's not a myth. Uh, you know, it's not fear-mongering. Uh, it's reality. The, the globalist elite sees the U.S. as the main threat to our national security, and they like to reign in the United States with the United Nations, with deals with Europe. They don't see China as a threat. They don't see Russia as a, as a threat. They see America as a threat. And that's why President Trump's foreign policy, America First, was so successful. It put American foreign policy first. It put the interests of the American people, American business, our economy first. It kept us out of unnecessary wars. It said no treaties if it hurts the average American. And it was very tough on China. It was tough on Russia. It really rejected what the globalist elites were doing. Remember when Joe Biden went to Europe for, for the G7 conference and they welcomed him into the club. And you saw Biden sitting with all these other European leaders laughing it up as they talked about how to raise global taxes and how to join the Paris Climate Change Agreement. The American people don't want that. I wrote an op-ed recently that Biden was saying, America first is over. The world knows it's not over, that this is a very popular strategy, and I think the next president is going to put it back in place. Well, I certainly hope so. I've been to Davos, mm -hmm. and... Um, there really is a group of people that see themselves as the globalist elite. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's incredible how they how they make common cause against uh, regular human beings. Yeah. No, I mean, the. Uh, I don't want to be part of the European club. <laughs> I don't want America to be part of the European club. I love Europe, okay? And Diane and I will go back. We love the Dutch. We love the food. Love the food, love to travel. Uh, but I love America. Yeah. Okay, I love the concept of freedom. Uh, and these kinds of things where, you know, you're in the Netherlands and you talk to the Dutch government and say, hey, let's talk about trade. And they say, ah, that's a Brussels issue. We don't do that in the Netherlands anymore. We have to go through Brussels on that. The Dutch, which was one of the most uh, successful trading economies, countries in the world, right. rivaling Venice, now says they don't do trade. They, they have to negotiate all trade through Brussels. And I, and I joked with them and I said, you know, if the U.S. and the Dutch had to do a trade agreement, you know, we'd get together for lunch, we'd talk in the afternoon, and for dinner we'd have an agreement, Yeah. right? Because we see the world so... Not if so you got to go through Brussels. <laughs> not, you're not going to get it through Brussels. And they said, oh, Hookster's now arguing for, you know, bilateral. It's kind of, no, I understand how the EU works, but this is how it would have worked on a bi bilateral basis. Well, I framed the opening in terms of conservatives, but I really think it's enemies of freedom. I mean, it's sort of the people who believe in American exceptionalism, which is about the Constitution and freedom and limited government. And I think that's the battle. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, or those, those of us who believe in freedom and, and those uh, who maybe think they ought to be free, but you shouldn't. Right. And I don't want to give our freedom to globalist organizations. 
Okay. I don't want to transfer authority from, you know, from Washington or the state capital or, you know, the city council. Uh, I don't want to move it anywhere. I, I want to leave it right here in the United States. And I think that is what uh, the president made very, very clear, uh, you know, President Trump. Uh, and, you know, Europe can go do with what, do what it wants uh, and those types of things. Uh, but this, this, actually, this model of freedom works okay. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Fred Flights and uh, Ambassador Pete Hosgren. We're talking about uh, the idea of freedom and the idea of America first means freedom and uh, why that is such a good thing, not only for Americans, but probably the rest of the world. Uh, you know, I'm on the board of uh, ACU and uh, Matt uh, Schlapp has started organizing CPAC meetings in Japan Brazil, all over the world. And it turns out that yeah. there's this movement that's about freedom. It's not necessarily about red hats, although they will show up at a rally yeah. in Tokyo with a red hat on. Uh, it's, it's incredible. I, I, there, there's got to be some sort of groundswell, I would hope. There is. I was always surprised. You know, the, the elites in the Netherlands, the media, they didn't like Donald Trump. They didn't like conservatives. And they really didn't like a conservative Dutch guy, which I am. I was born there. It's kind of like, Pete, how did you go off the rails? You know, how did you end up being a conservative? But I was always, uh, it always thrilled Diane and myself when we were, we'd be going around the Netherlands because I, I did a lot of grassroots stuff, uh, interacting with Dutch folks. And the number of Dutch that would come up to me and say, Pete, we can't say this publicly, but, you know, we really like what, what Trump is doing. <laughs> uh, because, you know, they, they look at Brussels, right? S decisions that used to be made in The Hague are now made, being made in Brussels through this bureaucracy and this commission uh, that they feel totally disconnected from. You know, they don't know the people there. And then they look at the policies and say, well, these are crazy. Well, you were over there firsthand looking at what's going on with Brussels and the EU and the whole Brexit situation. I mean, which, which you, where is that going? Is there any, is there any opportunities to, to, for freedom in, in Europe? Is there any desire to break free from that? Well, it, it's, it's interesting. Number one, a lot of people will just look at and see what happens with Britain. Okay, is it going to be successful for them? Uh, and the EU is doing everything that they can to make sure that, that it fails. Okay? Including the elites in Britain. Yeah, they yeah. want it to fail. Yeah. And they want, the, uh, the, they want them coming back on their hands and knees in five or ten years saying, oh, can we please come back in? Uh, I talked to you know, the countries that you would think would be most uh, likely uh, Hungary, Poland, uh, who are, you know, who are fighting with the EU because the EU, you know, wants to promote, you know, social issues on them. Hey, you got to be more open to abortion. Uh, you know, you got to be more open to uh, the open border concept uh, and these types of things. But Hungary and Poland uh, and those countries, I talked with their ambassadors about this. Said, you know, are, are you going to go one of these days because of the pressure you're getting from the EU? Are you going to go and, you know, the, and asked to get out, and it's kind of like, Pete, we've been trying for so long to get in mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the, the economic the, benefit, the economic huge, benefit yeah. and the security benefit, because uh, they're still afraid of a Russian influence, uh, that, you know, we can't go there, but we're going to fight the EU on these issues because, yeah, we're not, we don't want, you know, we don't want to become Europeanized like some of these other, like France or Germany and, and these kinds, you know, we want to maintain our national identity. I think they're going to have trouble doing it because there's going to be more and more pressure coming out of Brussels for these countries to conform, and they're going to start 
withholding money and, and those types of things and saying, you're not going to get these resources uh, until you change your behavior and you begin to align with what we in Brussels want you to do. You mentioned Russia, threat assessment. I mean, you, 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 you were both in a position to weigh this one. Russia, which we're told is just doing everything, they're terrible. China, I mean, in terms of scale of one to 10, what do, what do Americans need to be worried about? China needs to be a 10. Okay. Okay, because they, you know, they're much bigger. They're much more powerful. They're more cunning. Uh, and I think they're willing to do things that uh, will cost, I think, with COVID, may cost their people, you know, two or three million lives, and they don't care if it helps advance their agenda. Um, Russia doesn't have the, it has a great ability to be a disruptor. Uh, but it doesn't have the ability to be as big of a change agent. Uh, and, but, you know, Putin will continue disrupting. Uh, but I don't think he has the capability to be the kind of change agent that China can. Oh, absolutely. Russia is a declining power for demographic mm -hmm. reasons. It has a, an economy that is totally dependent upon resources. If the price of oil goes down, that, that economy may, may just shut down. But uh, China is very different with, with a robust economy, uh, robust banking section, uh, uh, a growing military. We know that Russia's trying to grow its military. China's growing its military, its nuclear weapons, its navy, its army at a much faster pace. It is a very serious immediate threat and a long-term threat. It is an existential threat to our security. I don't think Russia is. Russia has the largest nuclear arsenal on Earth. It can't be disregarded. It can cause a lot of trouble. But the main threat to our security uh, is not white supremacism, <laughs> it is China. Well, we open with the concern about the defense establishment, intelligence establishment focusing on domestic terrorists. And are they paying any attention, serious attention to China? I mean, is that, do we have people inside the organizations that are protecting us? Well, I think the direction that's coming from the White House at this point in time is actually moving those resources and targeting them uh, against Americans. These are not, you know, organizations that have unlimited resources. Uh, there's only so much that they can do, uh, and you know, you you, I think the uh, the DNI recently at their you know their at their oversight hearing was unwilling to say that they would. Uh, that they would not use any resources to target Americans. We had this, Jerry Boykin was here recently. You know, he, runs, he was, ran Delta Forces and the Green Beret, and he said because of all the woke training, they're seriously damaging the, the fighting capability of, 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 of our combat troops. Just as, as, as you point out, it's a matter of time and resources, and they're shifting time and resources to this non- uh, non-kinetic uh, stuff and they're protect they're, they're forgetting their main job mm -hmm. yeah you know it was so troubling to hear that intelligence agencies were putting white supremacy as the top national security threat that just shows these agencies are politicizing what they're coming out with to keep a democratic president happy it's completely outrageous and there, there was an interesting uh, development just before president trump left office when the DNI, uh, John Radcliffe, said that intelligence analysts were slanting their analysis of China during the Trump presidency to not put out intelligence that the Chinese wanted to affect the outcome of the 2020 election and playing up intelligence that Russia did because they didn't like Trump. 
And this was not just from Ratcliffe, it was from an ombudsman who was reviewing the politicization of intelligence, that there was actually pressure on analysts to say certain things for political reasons. This does enormous damage to the reputation of our intelligence community. And how will future Republican presidents, how can they trust our intelligence agencies if that kind of stuff is going on? Yeah, the, uh, I had a, after I left the uh, Congress, I still had some folks that continue to send me intelligence to uh, today. Uh, and they made it very clear that as the COVID pandemic developed, the Chinese saw a real opportunity not only to gain economically and move their vision forward in terms of being, uh, you know, a or the dominant world power. Uh, they ultimately also recognized that this would be a way to defeat Donald Trump. Uh, you know, they were involved in this election. Uh, they wanted to make sure that Donald Trump was not uh, was not elected because, you know, he was holding them accountable on a whole range of issues. I mean. Him and Mike Pompeo, uh, you know, there there was a, a synergy uh, that flowed out of the State Department uh, at every level, at, at those two levels, not every level. In between, there were lots of State de Department people that were feeling lots of heartburn. Uh, but Pompeo and uh, Donald Trump were very, very clear on what they wanted to happen in China and what they wanted to happen in Europe. What I'm hearing and feeling from you is that Similar to what's going on, I mean, we've got this this HR1 bill to federalize our elections so they make sure they never lose another election. Now they've gone to this other one, the John Lewis law, which would put everything inside the Justice Department. Um, terrible stuff. But they're working like mad to make sure that never happens again. I'm, I'm hearing from you feeling that that's still, that energy is still inside the intelligence agencies that they never want to lose control to somebody like Trump again. True? Yeah. I mean, at, at, at the leadership spots. Okay. Okay. Okay, we got a lot of work to do, guys. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> what, what center for, what, what's, your, what, what, what's your shop? You've just become head of the chairman of the com, uh, uh, advisory, advisory committee. committee. For the what, what's, our, what's, our, what's our mission here? What do we want to make happen? Well, we have a, pol we have a program, the Shadow National Security Council, uh, project shadow hold, national security hold biden accountable to keep our nation safe and free we're going after his nominees looking at his policies we're mostly looking at china we're trying to give information to congress to scrutinize this administration's policies we're going over uh, we'd like to change his policies to make them better i think that's going to be a, a a tough haul uh but we're i think we're doing important work getting our message out to members of congress and to the media and we can all find you at securefreedom.org is our website, securefreedom.org. Okay, I'd encourage everybody watching and listening to go to that website and, and, and take in what's, what's being done there. Uh, it's a real uh, um, uh, beacon for freedom, and, and, and unlike some people who just talk about it, you all are doing something about it, which is uh, great. So we run out of time. That happened last time. we got to continue. We've got we'll more come to back. talk about. You're going to come back, and we'll come back, and we'll do more. Uh, Ambassador Pete Hosker, thank you. Fred Flights, thank you. Uh, you've been watching The Bill Walton Show, which you can find at thebillwaltonshow.com and all the other major uh, podcast platforms, including YouTube for the time being. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be picking up this conversations and other related topics in future episodes. So we'll, we'll see you soon. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. 
You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.